Welcome to Adventure on Outdoors, where we talk about adventuring outside your daily 9 to 5. We're two ordinary guys exploring the outdoors, all while balancing a family life and the demands of a regular job. So join us in our pursuit of adventure and enjoy our conversations with others who share the same passions. Today we talk with Daniel Rodriguez with Lone Star Chronicles. Daniel is an avid fisherman and yak packer, as well as a top-notch photographer and storm chaser. In this episode, we discuss his beginnings into the kayaking world, and he tells us the story of escaping a flash flood while kayaking the Pecos River. We hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome to the Adventure On podcast. This is Daniel and Mike, and today we have with us Daniel Rodriguez. Um, How's it how going, fellas? Good. So, uh, Dan, it's been a while since I've seen you. Uh, we stay in touch all the time, but the last time uh, we were together, we were on the Pecos. Um, but what was funny about that is, is we actually met years prior after your flood in so- social media. Um, what, 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 what got you into the kayaking world? Outdoors, photography, what, what brought you into the outdoors? Oh man, that's a, that's a, a very complex question. <laughs> so, uh, I guess we'll start with, with, uh, outdoor world. Um, well, I'm actually a relative newcomer as far as, you know, hunting, fishing, kayaking, that sort of thing. You know, I think a lot of people kind of grow up doing those things, but I, I really didn't, um, my father was in the military, and so we moved around quite a bit. And while I wouldn't say we were sheltered from the outdoors, we didn't necessarily have those opportunities. So, I mean, I grew up, you know, on the, you know, on the beach and, and, and snorkeling, scuba diving and all that. But I really didn't get into fishing and specifically kayaking until uh, relatively late in life. And I think the real turning point for me was in 2005, I'd just gotten into the Marine Corps. And I did a, a survival school uh, as part of my training. I spent a couple weeks up in Maine, and a week of that time was spent in the mountains on the border of Canada. And uh, it's survival school, so it was a little rough. You know, we weren't eating much, and, you know, we were kind of getting put through the ringer. But, you know, aside from the whole starvation part of it, I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I like being outside, and, you know, they were teaching us how to snare animals. We learned how to field dress a rabbit. And so um, that's where I really started deciding, hey, like, I want to do this more. I want to camp and fish and hunt and all that. Um, fast forward a couple of years, I started fishing when I was stationed in San Diego. You know, I fished a little bit in the ocean and the lakes around. I started getting really into bass fishing specifically. And then in July of 2009, uh, I came home on leave for the 4th of July weekend. And my dad, coincidentally, around the same time, had also started to get into fishing. He's the same as, as I am. We, we both didn't really grow up doing that. And so he wanted to take me on a fishing trip for my birthday, which is July 2nd. And so we were going to go up to Lake Texoma. I forget the guy's name, but we were going to go on a striper fishing trip in a boat. And the night before, the guy called me. He was like, hey, um, I don't normally do this, but the conditions aren't looking very good. We're, you know, the bite's off. We're supposed to have really crappy weather. Uh, do you guys mind if we postpone this trip? And my dad was like, yeah, yeah, that's no problem. That's fine. And we're like, crap, you know, what do we do now? Because I couldn't, you know, I had to go back to San Diego. I couldn't just stay indefinitely. And so 
my dad had just gotten into Texas fishing forum around that time and had been seeing a lot of posts from a guy named Shane Davies or people who's a kayak fishing guy here in North Texas or people who had been with him. And, you know, they had awesome pictures, awesome trips, and he's a kayak fishing guide. So we called him on a whim. We were like, hey, we, you know, our, our fishing trip tomorrow got canceled. Can you accommodate us? And he was like, yeah, meet me at the Highway 16 bridge below Possum Kingdom at 6 in the morning. And so, um, you know, we shot out there. At this point in my life, I don't think I'd ever been in a kayak or my dad. So we got there at 6 in the morning, met, met Shane at the ramp. Uh, he gave us a quick, you know, don't fall, fall out of your kayak 101. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we paddled down the Brazos River there and, uh, just below the Possum Kingdom. And I'd say that was probably the, the life altering moment. You know, I'd already gotten big into fishing at that point, but man, we had an incredible trip. We caught, you know, beautiful striper, bass. I mean, it was easily the best fishing day I'd ever had in my life to that point. And really, still to this day, it's one of the better days I can remember. And that was that pretty much within, uh, that following year I came home, my dad had already bought a kayak, I got a kayak, and we just really snowballed from there. So when the, uh, you started out with Shane Davies, you went down the Brazos, is that correct? Was that the Brazos yes, River? Sir. And yes, then, we uh, went down the, I was, yeah, we went down a, a couple miles down from the Highway 16 bridge below Possum Kingdom. Did you camp then, or was it just a day trip? Nope, it was just a uh, a day trip at that point in time. You know, we were on the water like, you know, eight, nine hours or so. So a lot of people out there that kayak fish, you know, it, it is a day trip thing, but you somehow transitioned from a day trip fishing to really getting out there and camping and doing some unique trips. Is that correct? Yes, sir, that's accurate. Um, you know, and I, by this point in time, I'd done some camping trips when I was in San Diego. We did a little backpacking. You know, we'd go out and, you know, hike out, you know, a few miles out somewhere, camp, and then come back the next day. Um, so I wasn't, you know, and of course, by nature of being in the military, you can learn to camp a little bit. Uh, so I'd been camping. I just hadn't coupled the two together. And at the time, Shane was doing overnighter trips. Um, we just hadn't done one yet. So actually my first yak packing trip, as we like to say, was actually also with Shane. And, uh, he put me on a boomerang on the Devil's River. And I, that was in 2011, I believe. So my first kayak camping trip after I started kayaking was about a year and a half later. And, uh, and it didn't, you know, you guys have been on the Devil's River. It's just an amazing place. So for, for my first yak packing trip, that was a, you know, that, that, that was a, that set the standard really high. You know, just such an incredible river, such an incredible fishery. Um, you know, Shane's a really great guy. He's really knowledgeable. And it was, it was just an awesome trip. You know, we were catching trophy smallmouths. We had, you know, pretty good weather conditions. You know, I'd never seen such a clear river or lake in person as I did. And once again, that was, you know, that was kind of the second life changing kayaking moment. Cause once I did that, I was sort of, I was like, this is it. Like this, this is what I want to do, you know. I, I love bass fishing and all that, you know, and Shane's really huge on fishing. But what I really liked more so than even the fishing was just the, the entire package, the adventure, you know. I like roughing it, you know, that, and, you know, I like kind of like living by my wits and, and exploring. And really it's kind of like being childlike again where everything is new and shiny and you really just can't get enough of it. And, and that's what really started the, the yak packing for me. 
Man, I like that perspective a lot, that it's, it's almost like childlike again. Like, just being out there and seeing something new every day, and you never know what's around the next bend in the river. Oh, yeah. That, that, it, <laughs> I'm sure Shane had to reel me in a couple times from running around. And, uh, and at that time, uh, uh, I kind of started getting more into photography. And so that was my photography experience was actually really, as I was back on it, kind of running parallel with my kayaking experience. So, so, you know, I was fishing, but I was also running around with my camera. I, I'd just gotten a, a new DSLR right before that trip and taking pictures and, and all that. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just great. I, I know you, you, you figured we were going to ask this question. You know, we, we got to hear, we got to hear a little bit about the flood story, about, about the Pecos River and just the amazing adventure or not, I guess not so amazing adventure that you guys experienced with that. <laughs> yeah, I figured that would come up, uh, uh, you know, mid June of 2014. We had decided to do the, the Pecos from top to bottom from Pandale to the high bridge, uh, about a 60 mile trip and this was we had we actually done the Pecos once before but we did a, we did a boomerang trip so we went into like from uh we went in from Lake Amistad slash the high bridge we paddled up to about the weir dam and we hung out for a couple of days but we wanted to do like the no kidding you know the full trip so uh myself my father Bert Rodriguez the, the writer for Lone Star Chronicles um Another friend of ours that we actually met through Shane Davies also named Ryan Dennehy and a, and a kayak fisherman from San Angelo named Scott, Scott Gartman. We decided to do a five day trip and on, and we had been watching the forecast leading up to it and it was, it was a fairly mediocre forecast to be quite frank. Um, nothing, you know, we had a little bit of rain a couple of days, but nothing that set off any alarms whatsoever. And what had happened was there was a tropical depression, uh, I believe it was in the Gulf of Mexico, and it was dying off. And as it died off, it pushed north into that region of Texas. And so on the fourth night, no, the third night we were on the river, uh, it started raining. And it just rained and rained. It was about, I want to say it was about 10 o'clock at night. We had just got done, you know, kind of winding down for the day, eating our dinner, and we were getting ready to go into the tents. And it just started raining. Um, fortunately, we had a satellite phone with us, uh, and which is funny because that's actually the first time we've ever taken one on one of the yak packing trips. And so we called uh, Ryan's girlfriend, Jackie, at the time, who uh, who we had kind of established as our weather observer. And, just, you know, we were like, hey, it's starting to rain. What, what do you see in the forecast? And she was like, thank God you guys called. She was like, the weather forecast has changed completely. Uh, it's supposed to just, it's supposed to, you guys are under a flash flood watch now. It's supposed to rain all night long. You guys really need to be careful. And we're like, oh man, you know, so we, you know, when we pick our campsites on these trips, we, you know, we keep egress in mind because, you know, if you see, if you've seen the photos from the Pecos, a very canyon like, uh, there's a lot of places where if the water comes up really fast. You really don't have a whole lot of options. So, you know, we went and made sure we had a, cu- a couple of good egress routes and then we tried to sleep. <laughs> And it just, it rained all night. They actually set, I think they set the record for that area for the most rainfall in 24 hours. And I think it rained like 12 inches or something like that. Uh, so it just rained all night. Morning came. Uh, I don't think none of us slept much. In fact, it got to the point where 
Um, I, I had my I had my shoes on. I had my headlamp tied to my wrist. I was basically ready to like I had my life jacket and I was ready just to get out of the tent and go because I was concerned that if the water came up and started pushing my tent, I was just going to get stuck in there. So you know, we woke up, we checked the river, and it had been raining all night, but the river still hadn't come up and it was still relatively clear. And uh, so we called Jackie again, and she was like, "Okay, you guys need to start finding a way out of there because you're under a flash flood warning now." Which, for those of you who don't know, uh, a wash means you know, hey, keep an eye out. This could this could occur in your area. Same with tornadoes. If they issue a tornado watch, it's, hey, you know, keep an eye out. If you if you're in this region, uh, we're expecting some stuff. When it goes to warning, that means it's imminent. That means it's happening now. You need to you need to make preparations or take cover or whatever it is you need to do. So when she told us we were now under tornado warning, given that we were in the canyon and it was the lowest point in the area, we were like, yeah, we need to start uh, making plans for this. So um, about this time, we noticed that water had started cascading down into the canyon pretty much anywhere that there was a draw. So as we were standing on, you know, on the riverbank looking up and down the canyon, it was just like all these massive waterfalls just dumping water into the river. And, and, I, and it, it, it kind of started simultaneously all at once. Um, it, it wasn't very gradual. It was very abrupt. And uh, right around that time, we noticed that the water had started to change from clear to murky and it come up a couple inches. So we're like, Okay, you know, we need to, we, we need to start making some moves to get out of here. Uh, we went to check out our first egress route and it was, and we had picked kind of like a, like a shelf stair step type area on the side of the canyon is the best I can describe it, but we could kind of clamber up basically a couple of stories off the river and that draw had turned into a gigantic waterfall. <laughs> we got up to it and we were like, oh my God, like there's no way we can do this. And at that point we were, that's when I think, when we saw that our egress route was, you know, was crossed out, that was when we were like, okay, we're really in a bad situation now. We need to start figuring this out. Um, at this point in time, the river started turning like brown, brown, like chocolate enough brown and started rapidly rising. Um, we, somebody had noticed that there was a small Jeep trail. Um, it's what the ranchers used to kind of get around down there on, on their little, on their little gators or, you know, pretty high clearance four-wheel drive vehicles they call them jeep trails on the map and he had seen one about a quarter mile back upriver from our campsite and we hadn't planned for that to be an egress route in fact we didn't even know where the base of that trail went to we could just see a part of it up at the top of the canyon coming down into the canyon um and so at that point i was like hey like if we don't make a move to find the jeep trail now like we're gonna be stuck at this campsite and we're gonna have to like just take whatever comes at us you know, we're going to have to get in a kayak and paddle during in this, in this flood. And we kind of, you know, deliberated it on it a little bit. And we were kind of hesitant because on the way to that Jeep trail, there was another really massive waterfall. And there was a torrent of about thigh deep muddy flood water cascading over. And uh, finally, we were like, you know, we have to give it a shot. And so we, we had packed some bug out bags and threw all of our stuff on and we uh we linked arms and started traversing this this torrent of thigh deep flood water and fortunately it ended up that the current wasn't as swift as we thought you know crossing that at first we were like there's no way we could cross that and then we were like well we have to try and it wasn't as bad as we thought so we linked arms we crossed it i was using my monopod for my camera 
and I was basically poking the ground in front of where we were walking to make sure we weren't going to just fall into a deep hole because we wouldn't have been able to see it. So we did that. We got to the base of the Jeep trail. We found it, thank God, and we, and we started climbing out. Um, at that point, we, we got on the satellite phone and started making calls to people. You know, we called, you know, we called the border patrol. We figured they would, they would help us because they're familiar with the area, but they couldn't really do much for us. We ended up just calling 911 on the satellite phone. And so, you know, the lady answered and she's like, 911, what's your emergency? And we're like, hey, you know, we're, we're four kayakers on the Pecos River. It just flooded. All of our gear is gone. Uh, we need somebody to come get us. And she goes, what state are you in? <laughs> we're like, oh no. But she actually ended up helping us out a bit, quite a bit, and she ended up getting us a Texas Department of Public Safety helicopter to come get us. So, and that's the that's the short story. There's a lot of there's a lot of details there that that I missed, but that's that's the gist of it. It, it, it was an adventure, you know. It was it, it it was stressful, and there was definitely a couple of, of sketchy moments there. Uh, but you know, looking back on it, and I try to look at the glasses half full. You know what I mean? You know, we lost a lot of stuff, you know, but we survived, you know, we, and we survived without injury. Um, Lone Star Chronicles was already kind of big in the North Texas fishing scene, I personally believe, at that point in time, and that really kind of propelled us. And But even more so than that is really like the relationships we developed. I mean, we networked with so many people because of that, and we've talked to so many people. We've heard other people's stories. We've had people come up to us and ask us our story. I mean, I met you guys you know, like through that. And so, you know, I really, we really developed a lot of good friendships and relationships with people due to the flood. So, and, uh, it, it's a unique story. I mean, yeah, you know, you know, I'd, I'd be lying. Like I said, we weren't a little scared at a couple points there, but looking back on it, it was, you know, it was a life altering event. And, you know, my dad has a saying that, you know, that adversity makes you stronger. And it really does. You know, when you're put in those situations, you're really tested, you know, you're, you're really, uh, your level of preparedness and your and your and your mental ability in stressful situations is really tested there, and so it's kind of it's it's very unique in that aspect. And you know, obviously, I'm glad we survived. But yeah, absolutely. And so, if, if people want to read about the story, y'all y'all have the story posted up on on LoneStarChronicles.com, right? Yes, sir. LoneStarChronicles.com. Um, we have the entire. Pecos, we had the entire original Pecos flood story posted, um, as well as the follow-on stories we, we did after that. So, you know, we'll, my dad did a series on the Pecos flood trip itself, and then uh, he did a lot of research, and that's actually one of my favorite Lone Star Chronicles art, uh, articles, but it's called The Anatomy of a Flood, and we basically did like a timeline from even from before... We went on the trip, all the mitigating circumstances that caused the rain and the flood to happen to afterwards. So it's, it's really cool. You should definitely check that out. Uh, he did a separate story on the whole Pelican case and how my, my cameras were actually, I, I lost my cameras in the flood. They were in a Pelican case and they were found a couple months later by a bass fisherman on Lake Amistad floating in the lake and he got them back to me. So there's a story about that. That, that one was cool. I actually read that one for the first time just a couple of days ago. I was like, no freaking way. That just goes to show you that, that like, people in that, the outdoor community, that there's more good people out there than there are bad, and that it's just a community of people that look out for each other. 
Oh man, absolutely. I mean, you want to see a grown man cry. <laughs> was, uh, I, I, I still get goosebumps when I think about it. And, and just exactly like you said, you know, there's always going to be rotten apples in any bunch. But, you know, I really feel that a majority of the outdoors community, especially in Texas, you know, we're very, we're always willing to help each other out. And, and you know, we're very friendly towards each other. And, and, and you know, and I don't know if you know, you read the story, but I had, like, no identifying information in that Pelican case. I thought I had my business cards in there, but apparently I'd moved them. And so he actually had to Google. Well, first he had to scroll through my pictures on my camera, which still worked after two months in that Pelican case floating in the river. And he found a picture of us standing in front of the Pandale sign, which has the phone number to an outfitter there for the cabins. And uh, he just called that guy, and that guy was like, yeah, I don't know who those guys are, but a couple months ago, these guys got flooded off the river. So he had to Google search, you know, Pecos River flood or whatever search criteria he entered there. And uh, he found an article about the, about us in the flood in the San Angelo Tribune or something like that. And he ended up finding one of the guys on the team's Facebook page. And so, you know, that, you know and I'm talking about that simply because he had to go through such a concerted effort to find the owners of this camera, and it was about five to six thousand dollars worth of camera equipment in the case. If he could have kept it, and I would have never known. You know, nobody would have ever known. And a lot of people would say he had a right to keep it because he found it, but you know, he didn't. He, you know, he, he he got it back to us. So just a really, really good, humble guy. That's incredible. That's such a great story. You're in a storm. You were in the storm. It was historical. It was 500-year flood, come up 33 feet, and that was one of the biggest rainfalls. But you actually go and actually get into these type of storms on a regular basis, isn't that correct? <laughs> yeah, that is true. I do. Uh, I'm also a storm chaser, so uh, I like to storm chase in the spring on my free time. And that's actually been kind of a running joke between you know my friends and stuff like well this time the storm chased you <laughs> I, I, can't really, I can't really can't really argue with that so so you're well versed in weather uh, apparently um so how does that transition you know I, i've utilized you on my solo devil's river trip right we used you <laughs> to help us out on another or you kind of said hey watch out on one of our trips and reached out to us to help us with some weather in the past. But I've kind of learned some stuff from you being on the river recently with you. What would you tell people when you're going into these type of trips, these yak packing trips like we call them, what would you tell people how to prepare, how to read what, like you would tell me, well, we don't, we need to wait a little bit. Could you tell people what they could look at um, going into a trip and what they should be warned about and different things, especially with Texas? I mean, we have some major floods in our rivers, walls of water that literally come down. Yeah, um, and, w- and without trying to, without getting too uh, meteorology nerd on you guys, um, r- really just the basics. Um, you need, to, you know, as I stated, we, we had we had a designated person who was our who was basically our weather observer. We also had a standby weather person, uh, who's actually my storm chasing partner named Brett Hendrickson, who's a, who's a meteorology major. And so when you're doing a trip like this, when do you want to establish like a protocol or a program? You want somebody that 
that understand what they need to do as far as checking the weather and what information they need to feed you. You know, that way when you're on the river in a bad situation, you have someone you can call who, who already knows they may need to drop everything and get the data for you. Uh, so that's part one. You know, have, have somebody reliable that, that can talk in your language and give you weather updates. Um, two, just really, uh, you know, you don't need to chase tornadoes or go major meteorology to, to really understand the basics of weather. Um, but if you're doing, you know, if you're an outdoorsman, it's something you should be familiar with. You know, you should know what a cumulus cloud looks like. You should know how to read a weather forecast. You know, that's a, that's a big thing that a lot of people really don't know. You know, when it says, you know, when it says there's going to be a 10 mile an hour south wind, you need to know that when they articulate south, that's the direction that the, that the wind is coming from, you know, know the difference between a watch or a warning. And that way, when you're on the river and this person's feeding you this information, you know what they mean immediately without having them having to explain it to you. Um, I use multiple resources as far as that's concerned. Uh, for weather forecasting, I use a site called Wonderground, like weatherunderground.com. Uh, it's really good. It's probably one of the best forecasting sites out there. You, it gives you a 10-day forecast, and it doesn't just tell you hey, it's going to be partly cloudy or partly rainy. It actually gives you a timeline of when the rain is supposed to start. It gives you uh, weather direction. It gives you barometer readings. It gives you sunset and sunrise times. So that's a really good website to use. I also, when I'm, when, you know, it ties into storm chasing, when I'm looking specifically for severe weather forecasting type things, I go to spc.noaa.gov, and that's the National Weather Service Services uh, severe weather website. And so you can go on there and look at SPC products, and, it, and it'll give you, like, the next few days' worth of uh, severe weather forecasting and what they're expecting. So that that will be, you know, the, the three biggest takeaways. So, you know, the NOA.gov site, uh, underground wonderground.com, and then having a buddy who's going to know crap be able to give you good weather data while you're on the water. Well, I guess everybody in the world is going to call you now. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, just for a nominal fee, I suppose I can make myself available. <laughs> <laughs> well, ho- hopefully you don't charge up. No. Hey, uh, going going into that, you know, it, it helps you out a lot. We we've been very appreciative of your knowledge and uh, um and stuff but you know another thing about you what really captures my eye when I talk to you is more so than you your pictures tell a story in their own <laughs> how did you get into photography oh man photography so um looking back on it I've always kind of been interested in photography since I was young I always liked having like cameras or video cameras I was always just fascinated that you could capture a scene um, I took a photography class in high school, but I didn't really start getting into it um, until about, I think I got my first, you know, my first real DSLR in 2010, and 2011 is when I really started looking into, you know, shooting on manual and composition and exposure, so let me back up. I, I did have a camera when I was in the military, so, you know, I took a lot of pictures while I was there, you know, I was in the car scene for a while. In Southern California, so I used to take a lot of pictures, you know, of races and car meets and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I started. In fact, my original photography business name was Wide Open Throttle Photography because I was in the cars. And then as I started getting away from that and started transitioning more into the outdoor lifestyle, 
you know, I changed it to, to D-Rock Photo, Daniel Rodriguez Photography. And uh, really, I just like doing all these things. Like, I'm, like I can never be outside enough. Like, I'm always outside. I'm always, you know, if I'm not kayaking, I'm hunting or I'm fishing. And, and as I started getting more into that, I started really wanting to capture these beautiful scenes I would see. You know, I, I felt really privileged. I would be on these rivers or on these hikes or, and so I started developing my photography skill set there and, uh, really mostly self-taught, you know, just, I, I started getting some magazines from Barnes and Noble, you know, I, re- I read some articles online and if, you know, I'll start networking and following photographers and, and if I liked something, you know, if I, if I saw a picture that I really liked, I'll try to pick it apart and be like, you know, why do I like this picture? You know, and is it because the lighting this way? Is it because the composition? And, and so I'll start kind of testing myself and, you know, trying to improve and shoot, you know, similar scenes on my own and get good pictures and it's really just kind of blossomed from, from that. So, oh, your photography, it's not only outdoors, it's not only your trips, you do this, you do this now kind of professionally, is that correct? Yes, sir, that is correct. I mean, I do have a day job, but I do spend a significant, significant amount of time, uh, Either shooting or editing photos. Yeah, I've, I've had a, you know, I've been, I've been pretty fortunate. I've, I've, I've actually had so much work falling in my lap, but I've actually had to turn down uh, some requests because I simply just don't have the time, unfortunately. Uh, so yeah, you know, I say I'm doing it professionally on a part-time basis. You know, I just had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of good stuff coming up this year. It's really, you know, I, I've worked hard for years at it, and I'm starting to really get, you know. To the point where people are like, oh, I wish I had your life. I wish I got to do the stuff you get to do with photography. And it's like, hey, you know, if you work hard and and put yourself out there, you know, you you can do that. You can do what I'm doing. And, you know, so I finally got to that point where, like, some of my photography gigs, you know, some people will consider them vacation almost. But I definitely still work hard. <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't see the behind the scenes going on there and and how much studying and and and, and practice it takes to become proficient at it or the editing and so on. How do you find a balance with your nine to five and what you do from your adventures, your fishing, your photography? How do you find that balance? It's really tough sometimes. Uh, you have to be really good at time management, especially if you have a client that, you know, you promise pictures to by a certain date. Because, you know, there's times when, you know, I get off work and I want to come home and I want to veg out. You know, I want to read a book or, or watch TV and I can't have photos to edit. You know, I got to, I got to, if I get off work and then I have to work, and don't get me wrong, I love photography. I love doing it. I love the process. But it does get to a point where you're like, you know, I wish I had a little more free time. So time management is really crucial. Um, I'm also very fortunate that I have an employer that, that allows me some flexibility. You know, I have, you know, I get good vacation. And, you know, I, if, if I need to come in late or leave early within reason, you know, my, my, my boss will allow that. So that helps as well. Yeah, just that time management, you know, you got to make yourself a little schedule and stick to it. You know, if I have, you know, if I do a, a portraiture shoot, you know, and I have to get that person 10 or 20 edits by such and such date, you know, I look at my calendar and I lay out, hey, I have to do this many edits by this day, this many edits by this day. You know, that way you're not waiting till the last minute. You're like there the night before, up real late and trying to edit photos. So I think a lot of people doesn't, don't realize that one shot that you may take could come out of 15, 20, 30. Am I right? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't even want to measure the, the ratio of of the images I publish or post compared to the images I take. <laughs> well, but, I, I I can contest that you probably took twenty thousand of me, and I've seen maybe two. <laughs> yeah, you gotta probably, get that right shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it really kind of comes down to the image you want for your business, you know. Uh, I don't want to put out a mediocre product, you know, so while I may, you know, if I, if I, you know, I may have like 20 good pictures of, of something and there's, you know, there's 10 good ones. They're not bad, but they're not the best either. You know, I'm, I usually don't go with those because, you know, I want the best image possible to represent me and to represent my brand. So I like to do the quality versus quantity type deal. So that's why you're not putting out very many pictures of Daniel. Well, Daniel's just kind of ugly, but <laughs> everyone else. I was waiting. So I had to take that shot. So I was waiting. I was waiting. I set myself up for that one, so I'm going to take, take it with some sort of pride. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, Daniel. You're, you're, you're real pretty. You're, you're nice to the camera. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Thanks. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> I don't know how you have time for anything else, you know, because I was talking to Daniel and he was saying that you also do, aside from, you know, running from floods on the Pecos, chasing storms, photography, a day job. He said you also do some charity work on the side and some support of the military stuff as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, sir, I do. Uh I work quite a bit, and I've developed a, a really close relationship with a military organization called Brothers Keepers. Uh, and I, I got with them about three years ago. I, you know, I got in with them via photography. I, I had a, I was starting to get into some of the veterans organizations and the event they do for our, our wounded and injured guys. And a buddy of mine asked me to come to a hunt that Brothers Keepers was putting on, an annual hunt they do at Lake Louisville here in the DFW area. And, you know, just take some pictures and hang out with the guys and all that. And so I did, and 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 one thing led to another. We're now on, on Brothers Keepers, a uh, principal photographer. Uh, they're they're starting to get really big and do some really some really good things as far as the veterans community is concerned. So, you know, they had you know I, I photographed a retreat with them last June where they had I don't even remember how many people at the time, but it was a, it was a wounded veterans retreat, and they were. Their big thing that they like to do is they like to bring the wounded vet, but they also like to bring the families. And that's, they're huge on that because there's tons of organizations out there and there's tons, you know, tons of hunting events and, and the like. And they're, and they're great. You know, I'm not trying to bash them by any means, but a lot of times they're only for the service member and the, and the family has to kind of like sit back and watch them from the, from the sidelines or, or stay home, you know. But what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, when, when, when a service member is injured or wounded, this also affects the family, you know, they're, they're having to deal with this, you know, not in the exact same way as a service member, but as a peripheral, you know, if the, the service member's paralyzed from the waist down, well, the wife's having to do caretaker responsibilities. And so Brothers Keepers feels like, you know, they need a reprieve also. So they do these retreats. Um, I, like I said, I did one in, in a place called Granite Ranch in South, Southwest Texas last June. It was great. Uh, we had a ton of guys out there. And their families, they had a blast. We went out there, decompressed, went swimming. Uh, we, we skydived out of a helicopter. 
Um, it was a really good time. Uh, I just got back from Utah the week before last where Brothers Keepers did their first uh, skiing retreat. And so same story there. Uh, we we brought a, was, this tr- retreat was specifically for uh, wheelchair-bound or amputee veterans. But we also had two wounded Fort Worth police officers there, uh, a guy named Matt Pierce and another guy named John Bell, who were both wounded in the line of duty in the last few years. Uh, here in, in Fort Worth and they brought their families and it was just a great time. You know, we had these guys that didn't have legs or were paralyzed and we had them skiing down the mountain and their modified sleds and such. So the guy who started, uh, Brothers Keepers actually has a very unique story. His name is Jack Fannin and I consider him a good friend of mine now. You know, I've been working with them for a while, but he was an Air Force Special Forces Combat Controller. Uh, I, I believe he's done, done four or five combat deployments and he was doing a training parachuting jump in 2010 and uh he hit the ground hard and he hit his head on the ground and it broke his neck and so he was immediately paralyzed from the neck down mm-hmm. so you know you can imagine that that sort of situation you go from captain america to being paralyzed pretty tough to deal with wow. and so and you know and and when, when he, after he was injured, he, uh, you know, he got help from veterans organizations and, it, you know, he had, he had some high school buddies of his here in Fort Worth and they got to the point where they were like, you know, how, how do we do this? You know, how do, how do we give back to the veterans community? So Jack Fanning, who is now a quadriplegic and his high school buddy started this organization called Brothers Keepers and he still runs the logistics of it day to day. Um, even though he's paralyzed, he's still very active. You know, I've seen him ski. I've seen him skydive. You know, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't slowed down any, that's for sure. And so that's how this organization got started. And that's, and that's what we do now. What's the, what's the website? Like if people want to get involved or donate, uh, how can they, how can they support Brothers Keepers? I believe it's brotherskeepers.org. I'm checking it right now just to verify. Yeah, and we, we'll throw it in the show notes to make sure we'll, we'll put a link up uh, uh, on the on the description to where everybody can uh, can find that. Yeah, that's well, definitely on Facebook. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If they, if they want to find us on Facebook and give the page a like, it's just look Brothers Keepers on Facebook. It's one word, and uh, they do have a website, and I should have had it ready. <laughs> I apologize, but I'll get that that data for you guys afterwards. But the, but the Facebook page should have a link. And, uh, you know, we, we, you'll, you'll, if you go to Brothers Keepers on there, you see a lot of my photography on there. A lot of the, like I said, I'm, I'm the principal photographer now, so I do a lot of, a lot of their events and, and get photos up. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're always looking for people to help or donate, or even if you know, you'd be surprised. It's actually hard sometimes to find guys to, to fill these events, you know, either due to distance or, or, you know, what have you, what not. So if anybody that's listening to this, if you know somebody with a purple heart, if you know a wounded, injured, ill veteran, uh, send them, send them to Brothers Keepers. And if we have an event we can get them in on, we certainly will. So, and that website is, is, uh, brothers-keepers.org. Perfect. And, and they have a link on there to donate and they talk, talk about Jack's story and, and whatnot. Well, Daniel, you are a man of many trades. That is for sure. And, um, and, and I'm glad I've got a, 
meet you in the past, been on a trip with you. Uh, what could you just tell our listeners, you know, um, just give us some final thoughts. How's that? <laughs> final thoughts. Well, I mean, like you guys said, I, I keep pretty busy. I do a lot. Um, I'm just fascinated by everything. You know, I want to be out there. I'm not, I'm not one for staying inside much. There's, there's just so much in this world to do, you know, and people always ask me, you know, how do you get to do all this stuff? How do you, how do you do this? How do you do that? And really, I mean, you just got to put yourself out there, you know, and, uh, I got a saying I like to say, and it goes, you know, a rolling stone gathers no moss. You know, if you just keep busy and, and explore and, and all that, it'll keep you young and you'll get to meet great people and network and see what there is to see. You know, because, you you know, you can watch the videos, you can watch TV, you can watch the movies, but some of these places you just have to see in person, and it's, you know, just get out there. Man, that's awesome. It's It's been great for me to, to finally be able to talk to you, and, uh, you know, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. So uh, go ahead and give us, like, your Instagram, your, your Facebook, how can people get in contact with you? Your 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 uh, photography website. Let's go ahead and plug all that so if people want to get get a hold of you, they can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as Facebook, my, I don't really have a photography page on there. You can just find me by Daniel Rodriguez. Uh, if you're in the kayak fishing community, I'm sure we'll have mutual friends. I'm pretty active on Instagram, and you can find me at drodphoto. My website is also drodphoto.net. And if you want to read more, or, you know, about our Pecos adventures, uh, either our flood trip or the, or the, or the redemption trip, as we say, that we did last June, you can find that on LoneStarChronicles.com. And that's where, uh, my father and I's outdoors blogs. He, he's a principal writer and I'm the principal photographer. Awesome. Well, Dan- Daniel, um, we appreciate your time. Thanks for the stories and the lessons. And, um, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, spending that time. Absolutely, guys. And uh, I appreciate you guys having me on as well. And I look forward to, to future adventures here soon. Absolutely. we, we got to plan one soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hunting season just around the corner. <laughs> uh, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll be on one for sure. Awesome. You guys have a good one. All right, man. You too. Later, Dan. If you would like to keep up with our adventures, you can go to our website at www.adventureonoutdoors.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at adventure underscore on underscore outdoors. Also on Facebook and YouTube, Adventure on Outdoors. Thanks for listening.